0: Hi, Samarth. Thank you so much for joining on Blitz Business. It's good to have you. Hey, Ashish. Pleasure pleasure to be here. Awesome. Let's get
1: started. So, Samarth, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, um, see, I'm an engineer uh, from background. I did my engineering uh, from uh, RV College of Engineering, Bangalore, uh, in electrical electronics. Right after graduation, um, I think, Within two months post graduation, I ventured directly into my very first startup. And, um, even though it was a completely different line, we, we raised some funds, we pivoted a bit and then eventually six years later, uh, we got acquired. So
0: what was the company and how? And what's the trick to getting acquired in six months? <laughs>
1: not six months, six years. <laughs> six years. Uh, okay. so there, there are some tricks to get acquired in six months, but I do not know those tricks yet. Uh, it took me six years <laughs> to to take it to profitability, to scale, and and to acquisition. So, see, initially, uh post my graduation, uh, we wanted to solve a problem that I personally was facing uh, in my area. This I'm I'm talking about 2015. Right. We we had issues dealing with the local milkman. We had issues uh, getting milk delivered to our places or uh, identifying, uh, you know, high quality milk companies or milk brands we can uh, we can connect with or talk to. So uh, we decided to build an app. It was kind of a college project. We were not thinking of it as a startup as such, but we were just thinking of it as a college project. We built an app for a local milkman. And and the idea was we're gonna enable this local milkman who supplies milk door to door to to be able to connect to its customers and give uh, his customers the ability to subscribe, to pause subscription, et cetera. So that is how we had started. We raised, I think about a crore, crore and a half uh, in in funding for that business model. Eventually we started scale. I think we became one of the biggest uh, milk subscription platform in Delhi NCR before a lot of other players came into the market. And in that period of time, What I understood was that our model was completely flawed. The initial model that we started, right? A hyper-local grocery delivery that we were thinking of, a subscription model that we were thinking of, primarily based on milk, was flawed that the unit economics was not positive in that model. You're spending a lot of money to actually do the deliveries and you're getting very little margins to work with so you can try adding a delivery charge to it or you can try selling milk which is uh, you know slightly higher in in value or in price eventually people would not accept that so we could see that even though we were scaling we were managing a massive volume but the the margins were not there to sustain and i did not want at that time to talk to more investors get more investors onboarded uh, even though i even when i myself was not confident of the business ever becoming a profitable business. And as you can see, a lot of ventures these days, they focus just on scale, scale, scale. They don't really focus on profitability. My focus was a sustainable business model eventually. So we decided to shut down the operations side of the business. And um, you know, in that process, when we were doing that, when we were shutting down the operations, uh, one of the milk brands we were working with, uh, you know, he came and he saw our platform. Our, our software that we had built our application that we had built for ourselves and he was like somewhat boss you know what, what is the software that you are using and uh, he, he questioned me he's like is this zoho you know one of the erp systems crm systems available in the market and i'm like no this is something that we have built to manage our own uh, distribution our own subscription and he's like can i use this since you are shutting down your operations you're shutting down your uh, Milk delivery business is it possible for me to at least take this software it can help us because we are doing a massive volume uh, you know we are distributing to retailers we are distributing to uh, distributors and and we don't have any software in place to manage our operations we want to know how many crates went into the market we want to know what leakages happened we want to know if invoices were raised for those and um, we don't have any real-time visibility of uh, what's actually happening on the field so just as a trial, you know, we offered him our system and he loved it. One thing led to another. He referred us to two more people, then three more people. And then, you know, from almost shutting down our business, we became a profitable SaaS company. We became a mill distribution company to a mill distribution SaaS platform. And um, eventually we got noticed by uh, one of the largest uh, agri-tech players in the world uh, based out of Texas, and, uh, you know, one LinkedIn message. And then later for the discussions, uh, we, we got acquired. So it was a very okay. interesting six year wow. journey. A lot
0: of questions now coming to my mind. So, so currently then <laughs> you are running under the, you're part of it or you took an exit or what's, what's your current position? So, um,
1: if you're talking about, um, uh, shareholding point of view, all the shareholders completely exited post the acquisition. Right, including myself, right? all of us completely exited the business. Uh, I personally uh joined the parent company based out of u s to help them with their operations in southeast Asia. but uh, as of thirty uh, first of january twenty twenty four I have also hundred percent exited the parent company as well, and I'm moving on to to my next venture. So you're fully fully exited. Good to know <laughs> so What was the u s yeah. company name? Everag, okay, understood. It was previously known as Dairy.com because they were primarily focused on dairy technology, and they were the leaders in dairy technology in the world. But okay. as the company acquired more companies, as they acquired more businesses across the world, they became a platform that solved everything in agriculture, which is why the name Ever.ag, everything agriculture. So now they're everything agriculture. They're, they're a software company that solves all agricultural related problems. Understood. So is
0: the, is your software currently in being used or what, what's the shape of that particular
1: product? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it is now under Everag and uh, being used in India, being used internationally. It's, it's, it's now in their control, their baby to take things. Understood. And when you saw of this opportunity, ki ye wala
0: Particular piece is working. The software piece is working. Uh, was the decision easy when you were talking to these US guys, uh, they wanted to acquire versus running your own and maybe selling it at much premium or you thought this uh, is better to exist?
1: Right, so see, there is a concept in MA where sometimes two plus two equals to five, right? There are, you can either raise funds and try to scale your business to a certain level and then hope for a very good valuation. Or you can identify a right synergistic partner, integrate and provide a lot more value to your customers. The position that we were at, we had the clientele, we had the right business model. We were lacking in certain areas, such as the right industry knowledge now i don't come from a dairy background i don't even come from an agri background not even remotely right i am an electrical engineer the idea to get into the dairy side of the business was not to build a saas platform for the dairy businesses but it was primarily to become uh, you know a, a milk distribution company which did not have a lot of uh, requirement for dairy knowledge so as and when we got into the saas business it was extremely tough for us to understand the market requirements Or provide the right value. We were working with almost 120 clients at the time of acquisition. There is no other dairy tech platform in India that was working with so many clients at that point of time. But we had also reached a plateau. There were not a lot of direct-to-consumer milk businesses in India. So our only way to scale further was to expand internationally. All right. So Samarth, you were saying you were, I mean, you reached the saturation
0: point and the logical path to move way forward was international and the knowledge gap, et cetera, was a challenge. So first let's discuss a little bit about the 120 client. So what was the average ticket size for this sort of, I mean, I know SaaS products, um, you cannot charge much, especially in this segment. I think the ticket size sounds smaller or correct me if I'm wrong
1: per customer so this is the interesting part we were charging um our business model was a percentage of the revenue we did not have a fixed fee and really? um, i was able to, yeah, yeah i was able to convince our clients to work on a percentage and a revenue sharing model and this this happened by chance by the way this was never planned and um the first client that i'm talking to uh, and he's like so what's the fee and at that time i had not even thought about uh, what I'm going to charge. And usually there's a thought process that goes behind uh, pricing your SaaS platform. It's the value that you're providing, right? The return that a client can get uh, on using your platform. And that's how you rightly price your uh, product. But in our case, at that time, I was just sitting in front of the client and the client just threw that question at me, like, how much are you going to charge? And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm thinking we're going to charge 1% of every sale that you make. So Adam, at that very moment, the client, uh, you know, was a bit in a shock and he's like, 1%, that is a huge, uh, amount to charge, uh, you know, for just providing a, a software at that time. And I was like, listen, we are not coming on board as just a software for you. We are trying to come with you as your technology partner from here on, whatever you need to scale your business is my responsibility, but I need that motivation. I need that skin in the game that yes, if I help you scale i also get a chunk of your scaled up business so that initial first client agreed and that and, and at that time we set the example for the entire industry and after us every company that launched a saas platform for the dairy they started charging the same price as we were charging, they started charging 1%, some came at 0.5%, 0.6%, but we, we were the one to set that trend of charging, you know, a percentage of their business. So if we talk about ticket size, um, we, we, we were working with some very small clients as well, who were paying us not more than I would say six, seven lakhs a year, two clients who were paying us almost 70 lakhs, 80 lakhs annually for our platform. So we had a wide range of clients, the smallest to the largest. And the benefit that our clients were getting, they were paying us based on their business volume, right? So they felt very comfortable. And it also gave them a lot of confidence that if we go down, you go down as well. So we were also highly motivated to make sure that they make. But, but somehow, Savat,
0: the model seems um, off to me because for if I'm a dairy company, I'm selling something, how is i am comfortable to shell 50 70 lakh for a software and so just to give you an info so my background is in software we my other company sells software for living for last 10 years different different vertical and so it sounds very interesting so how i mean a customer willing to pay 70 lakh in dairy segment uh so what's the value add i still need to understand like what are you helping with them out etc because as SaaS, it's pure profit, right? If you're, uh, once it's made, it's made. What What, what is that uh, turnover or I mean, incremental, whatever it is? So help me understand.
1: Yeah, so that was what some of the questions that came to me from um, our clients as well. He's like, yeah, if if we touch 100 crores, you're telling me I'm going to pay you 1 crore per annum? Yeah, And with all the confidence sitting in front of them, I would say yes, absolutely. Because, so, Ashish since you are from a tech background, you understand very well the costs involved in building a software from ground up. Yeah. Right? So the first thing that people were afraid of, especially uh, businesses in the dairy side, was building a software from ground up. Because the kind of system that we had built, for them to build that would have costed them easily anywhere between 50 to 60 lakhs. Right? Nothing less. A, A substandard version of it with bare minimum features, I would say... You know, uh, 15, 20 lakhs, 30 lakhs. But what we had built at that time, right, it would have costed them somewhere around 50 to 60 lakhs. So that's point number one. Second, it is not just the cost of building the software, it is also the knowledge and the experience that goes into it. So, what I used to tell my clients is that you can go ahead and build your software today, but whatever you'll be building will be based on your own personal experience. While what I am building today, is an experience of 120 clients combined. So the problem statement that you as a small dairy is facing today is going to be very different than you as a larger dairy is going to face tomorrow. You're going to have different problem today as let's say, you know, a 1 lakh liter per day dairy. And you're going to have different problems as you touch 10 lakh liters per day volume or 5 lakh liters per day volume. But since I already have clients who are at 5 lakh, 10 lakh, I know those problems and my system is already there to handle that scale and to assist you. Now we were into direct to consumer, we were into B2B businesses. And when you were in direct to consumer, there's a consumer facing application we used to provide to our clients as well, right? And again, with a consumer facing application, there's a lot of thought process. We had people from IIT, IAM working, uh, you know, uh, best way possible to understand what the market truly needs. And these are intangible values that you can't really put a number with which is where we were able to command that uh, 1% and able to get that 1%. And what were the
0: features? Uh, so what were the functionalities the customer was getting?
1: Again, depending on whether you were in a direct-to-consumer vertical or you were in a B2B vertical, a direct-to-consumer vertical would get a consumer-facing application where their consumers are able to... It's white-labeled. So let's say you're a brand X. You'll get an X-branded, uh, you know, a white-labeled application where people can subscribe to your product. You can launch various marketing schemes. Uh, People can, uh, uh, you know, add money to the wallet. And all of that, again, managed through a backend system and then passed on to a field application, which is then provided to their delivery riders who get to know where they're supposed to collect money from, uh, how much milk they're supposed to deliver where, in case there is any leakage, how to report that. So every minute operational uh, inefficiency that was in the dairy business, we were targeting. Now, if I get to the full feature list, it's a, it's a humongous software, but so you had, what I can say is that we were,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you had more D2C or B2 B2B customers, what were your, we started off as a D2C and then eventually moved on to being a pure B2B brand as well. We launched our B2B, I think uh, four or five months ago. So out of one twenty, it was like what was the split? Fifty, sixty, fifty, fifty, what was all of them were our prospect B2B because all of them wanted a B2B software as well. Oh. They all had the B2B business. So B2C was a smaller vertical of their entire business. And B2B was the main main vertical that uh they were venturing into.
0: Understood. And what were the functionalities in B2B in terms of warehouse management or something? I don't know.
1: See, we did not get into warehouse management for B2B, everything started after the production is done and uh, the product is ready for dispatch. So over there, planning the route, our system would analyze which distributor is based out of which location and which truck can deliver to that particular distributor in the best possible efficient manner. And when I say efficient, maximum loading of the truck. Right? Because many a times they plan their route in a way that the truck is not even fully loaded. And if the truck is going not fully loaded, then you're losing money, right? You're utilizing more trucks than you actually need. So a system would help utilize or, or make the route more efficient. It would help them track. I don't know if you've seen, if you go to any puncher shop today, you will either see an Amul crate or a Mother Dairy crate lying over there in which they've kept their uh, you know, tools. How is the crate reaching there? And it's a perfectly fine crate. It's not that uh, it's broken or not in use. It's a perfectly fine crate. It's because they're losing. So I think India loses, I, I remember this, about $100 million worth of crates every year. I mean, that's the business for all the crate uh, manufacturing companies, but it's a huge loss for the companies who are doing it. And at the moment, most of the dairy companies, all they would do is market as a loss. Why? right? Why? When you know exactly how many crates have left your uh, warehouse, how many crates have gone to a specific distributor, you know where to collect it from. But the problem is that entire industry operates on uh, papers. So they would just mark, okay, I've delivered 50 here. Now, where is that information going? Somebody has to take it back, enter it somewhere that yes, I have given 50. But even if it's entered, where is the information again going that this has to be collected the next day? It's not being communicated. So that entire communication can only happen if there is a set of technology implemented at every uh, value chain, every aspect of the value chain, right from dispatch to the point it's being collected. So that is the problem statement that you were solving in the B2B side.
0: Interesting. And, um, um i think country delight also came around that time i think
1: but they have been was country delight there when you guys started so country delight was there when we were in the milk distribution side yes when we had started our milk distribution we were a marketplace country delight is a brand but they also have their
0: own service right they provide door to door no i
1: didn't
0: get i didn't catch you there uh, I mean, they provide this subscription milk service, no?
1: Yes. Yes. So see, they are not a software company. They are a milk company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We do not have our own milk brand. Country Delight has their own milk brand. They, they supply their own, they have their own technology, their own product, uh, that they supply and yes, they do milk subscription. So if I have to explain what we did, imagine there are a hundred country delights out there and we are providing them the technology to operate got it right country delight has built their own software for the others we are providing them the software to be a country delight if so then what's next Amit? so at the moment uh, you know post acquisition i actually moved to dubai and um, in dubai uh, you know I, I started understanding the landscape I, I started investing in dubai as well especially in the in the real estate side of it and uh, i guess in the last two years uh, the three, four transactions that I've done in Dubai, there are two things that I've understood very well. One is that uh, the Dubai market, uh, the real estate market is, is far, far advanced in terms of technology application than, than any other country that I've seen so far. The fastest that you can actually close a deal, the fastest the paperwork, everything, right? It's, it's, it's highly technologically enabled market. And the other thing is, it is enabled by the government and there are APIs open for people to work with that data and build products, but there are not many products out there. So we are venturing into what we would say a co-pilot and you out of others would would understand this best. We're building an AI co-pilot for real estate agents in Dubai. Again, our primary market is, is gonna be Dubai. And then eventually we'll move on to, to other, other geographies.
0: Uh, how is Dubai real estate doing? I remember, um, so I used to visit, uh, Dubai a lot for, because we had some customers there, but I always used to find there were empty floors right after like, I'm talking about Jumeirah business area.
1: Um, I mean, who is buying that's my, What, always what, the, I, what, what year I- yeah. No, no, no. What what year are you talking about? Two years back? Two years back. Okay. No, no. So it's been two years for me in Dubai. And I do agree. There are a lot of uh, empty apartments that you're going to see, but that's primarily because the majority of the buyers over there are not end users, but investors who put their businesses on Airbnb, right? Or as a holiday home. So the thing about Dubai is Dubai's market uh, tourism is, is basically generating business uh, for six months. And six months you'd see as if there's nobody in Dubai. Right? What because those are the when I, I would say it's gonna be anywhere between October, September, October to to March, April. This okay. is when there's actual business happening in Dubai. This is when the tourism is there, when then the tourists flock in and, and they flock in like anything. There's so many that is difficult. Now the area that I'm living in in Dubai has kind of become like a tourist spot. And during this peak season, it's difficult for me to even go down for a jog because there's just so many tourists standing over there. And that's when all these apartments that you see empty, which are primarily Airbnb, they're all full, right? So Dubai is primarily, you know, an expat uh, location. 90% of the population are just expats. Only 10% are, are locals and it's completely on tourism. But the number of transactions that are happening in real estate is, is amazing. You have all of that data on a government-provided application. Very you open powerful. that app, you have everything.
0: So what's the? give us a sense of what are the rates compared to, I mean, I know of daily a Bombay rate, but just to understand, so what are the numbers we are looking per square foot or whatever? What's the, how, how much it comes down
1: See, I, I can talk about the, the, the transactions that I have made so far. And, and we're talking about anywhere between 35,000 to 45,000 rupees per square feet. Oh, that's
0: not bad. That's not bad. I not
1: mean, bad. you can say it's 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 less than Bombay. Way less. Yeah, yeah for sure. Even Delhi. Yeah. I mean, but, but if you look in Delhi, good areas. Not so. really. Not really. In, in, in Gurgaon, in certain good areas as well, certain posh areas, you can still get fourteen fifteen thousand twenty five thousand 15,000, 25,000 square feet. But uh 50,000, I would say you'd get some of the posh areas, um, you know, or maybe higher. Yeah, but still a better value proposition, I personally feel, you know, considering what you eventually get, the kind of views you get over there.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I was just trying to calculate for this rate uh, if someone can get
1: dlf camellias
0: uh, camellias would be
1: around i think it was what sixty, eighty thousand.
0: 80000 i don't know <laughs> yeah it, it's not coming into this <laughs> in this calculation yeah yeah that's what I, yeah, yeah interesting yeah uh, and how is the then okay so there was this company i think it's. i think it's coming in the podcast so they sell to Indian customers while in Dubai, right? And uh, so this guy was telling me uh, he does cold calling uh, from Dubai to sell to Indian tier two, tier three city. He said it's so difficult to close a deal on phone. I was like, how will you sell the such things? You know, over a phone, it's not like
1: Alupuri, puri. You're just selling. A- but the funny part is, it's actually happening. People are able yeah. to do that. They'll just make a call. And and people from India is one of the biggest investor. Indians are the biggest investor in in Dubai. They are investing like anything. I don't know how, but investors, primarily that I've come across and the ones that I've bought from, mostly Indians. Indians are putting in a lot of money. I think there are a lot of reasons why they're doing it naturally, because if you play it right, you can get great appreciations in Dubai. Again, I, I would like to emphasize on if you play it right otherwise you can lose a ton of money in dubai if you don't know how to play this game and uh, the rental returns are really well i mean i mean you can get anywhere between 7 to 12% tax free rental return on your investment i mean that's a great investment why not
0: so so now i am assuming you're spending more time in dubai so indian government se koi dukh dar da hai no <laughs> <laughs> no
1: <laughs> very honestly all positive because uh, i have seen in the last eight years of in the startup that the support that the indian government is providing uh to the startup ecosystem in india you don't have that in dubai so invest in, in india fact, no uh, sorry so invest in india no because he's here, he knows where to invest, what to do. And since I'm not here, it becomes very difficult for me to invent. So, that's, that's... so
0: uh, let's play a little fun game. So, two pros and two cons of Dubai
1: and India. I am the people Alright, see,
0: I speak
1: purely, uh, not India, but I want to speak purely about Delhi. Because yeah. huge difference. Every state has a different uh, pros yeah. and cons. So if if I talk about that, air quality. I mean that has to be the biggest reason why I spend majority of my time in the hmm. way. Every time I come back, because now I've gotten used to that kind of atmosphere. Jab Delhi you get used to this, right? It does not bother you. But when you go to a cleaner environment, and then when you come back, it it hits you. Huh? don't get me wrong i still prefer living in delhi than in dubai but certain things have started to hit you hard no no when pollution uh, come even
0: here so please <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah same
1: yeah one, one one second second i would say um, when it comes to the government over there right and um, all the facilities amenities that a government is to provide it is so smooth in dubai it is unbelievable unbelievable. I mean, for me to get, uh, you know, an electricity connection was, was just 15 minute job. They have their own application, right? The electricity department, their water department has their own application. Their uh, road and transport authority has their own application. Everything is so highly digitized that it's so convenient for a person to do anything that can take sometimes months over here. So these are the only two things I would say, you know, from a health point of view, naturally, I want something which is a cleaner environment. And, uh, you know, the facilities and amenity point of view, it is so convenient over there. But Dubai cons, Dubai to Before I get to two cons, Dubai feels like a theme, uh, you know, a country running a theme park, right? They focus so much on the citizens and the amenities that it literally feels like you're in a theme park. If call a complaint number, it will solve All right. So two cons. One con, which is very obvious, is the temperature. It is horrible. Those three to four months living in Dubai is just painful. You cannot go out in the sun. Eight second Kalebi, you go out, you can feel it pierce you, right? It's that hot. Another con. It's very difficult to actually think about cons. I mean, for somebody who is in a mid to upper mid income category, way is still very expensive to live in. It is highly expensive. Now they don't have taxes for sure, right? They won't, they won't charge you taxes, but everything is so expensive that you eventually end up paying more or less the same amount that you would have paid in India with the taxes. Now in India, you would have paid 30% tax and then the cost of living? Yeah. Over there, the cost of living comes out to be around 30%, right? The well, rentals you pay
0: you pay. are- Yeah. Sorry?
1: Everything is inbuilt in the... Yeah, I mean, to get a license, I've paid what? Uh, 2 lakh? If I talk about an INR, that is mm-hmm. the official fees to get a license. You're for $20,000,000. So that's the huge difference that you see, right? These are the small, small things that they keep adding here and there, which which the government charges that eventually kind of becomes like a tax.
0: You answered very honestly, I must appreciate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then sort of summer. so now you're building this... Uh, I think application, right? Uh, copilot. So yeah, what is the next step, plan, launch? Is it launch already, customers, etc. So what, what are your plans? Tell us.
1: We are very early at the moment. We are in fact doing our wireframing, finalizing the MVP. Okay. We are confident on the product that we're building and the value proposition that we're providing. And this is based on almost 200 to 300 um, agents, real estate agents that I've spent time with in Dubai. In the last two years, spoken to all of them, understood their their way of operation, and and we know what we are solving will change the landscape at least in Dubai to begin with. We're not sure about the other locations. I can't divulge a lot of information, but that is what I'm going to stick to for now. And uh, MVP stage is where we are at. We are building the MVP. We do not want to raise funds right now, even though we do have some soft commitments today. That funds yes, to we're willing. That.
0: <laughs>
1: <Funds ko laughs> karte when you realize equity is far more valuable than the money that you'll get today, <laughs> that is they, when you say, say no to funds. We do not want to dilute ourselves right now because we know we can build it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we will build it ourselves. We will launch it. We will let some revenue come in and we want to raise money post revenue, not pre revenue. We want to be in that place to to negotiate with the investors that listen. We've got a solid product. We are generating revenue. Now let's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I met a, this banker
0: once, and many I had the same answer. Like, whatever. It's. it's like Lakshmi ko mana kahan karte hai say, <laughs> It's like someone is coming, bringing Lakshmi, and you're saying no. <laughs> like, he be logic Asli Lakshmi
1: aapke paas hai, sir. Again, equity is the real Lakshmi. <laughs> Like
0: put it with me. Yeah, yeah. It. Yeah.
1: so that's true
0: that's true that's true awesome. awesome
1: awesome so then apart from all this what keeps you busy so uh, i'm hardcore into adventure and uh, dubai is the place i mean you've got the best skydiving experience in dubai that i've already done then you've got uh, the longest uh, zip line in the world it's not In Dubai Dubai, but very close to Dubai, in in Emirate, which is next to Dubai. And then you've got the deepest pool in the world
0: Mm -hmm. where you
1: get to do the, the scuba diving. So every chance I get in Dubai to to try out a new adventure is is where I rush to. And that is what truly keeps me busy. And otherwise though, you know, when when you're a startup founder, especially in the early stage, you don't really have time for anything at all. So right now we are back in that stage. We are early founders. Uh, throughout the day, we are just on a laptop, figuring out the market, understanding how we can solve it better, or how we can design it better, or talking to a lot of designers to help with our UI UX because, you know, now that we've done it once, we understand the true value a UX brings to the table. A lot of people ignore that. A lot of people, I mean, there is a saying out there that if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you've launched too, too, you know, too soon or too late, sorry. Uh, the point is that markets are changing and certain markets are so mature that if you launch a half-baked product, you're gone. So you have to strike the right balance of not launching too late and at the same time doing it correctly.
0: So you mentioned a very critical point on UX. So uh, recently, uh, one of the India's leading UX company called Zooks, they came on the podcast and they were sharing a story that White Heart Junior rebranded. See hmm. the skyrocket skyrocketed, user sign up after they changed the UI UX and bought June by June. So, contact them. At UX yeah. level, they are so good. I am promoting them also. So, I said, you know, they have acquired it. That's why. opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I believe in UX and all this fund up, it works. And they did a terrific job. So, shout out to them.
1: No, it's absolutely. I think it, it plays uh, with the consumer's mind, right? Psychologically, the UI, UX, it, it has a huge... Sometimes even if you're not solving a big problem, but even, it's, even, it, even if it looks pretty, it's, it's good. It, it, you know, it's a, a feel-good factor to it. People end up using it. Yeah, it just looks nice, right? Mm-hmm. Just having your things over there. Now, I, I use this app called IND Wealth. Right or I N D money? I forgot uh, what it's called now. Yes, by Ashish.
0: It's Correct. Ashish.
1: Yeah. Right. Now, since uh, I don't invest much in India, it does not solve a huge problem for me. Right. But whatever assets that I have in India, I do put it on that app. It just looks nice. It just shows me in a very nice way. This is what I own. This is what my net worth is. This is what these are. What my expenses are. That's it. It's not solving a major problem for me. You make Excel maybe maintain your sakta. Yeah, right. But the UI UX of it looks very nice. And I I love to see it very fancily mentioned on top that this is your net worth. It looks nice to see. (laughs) So yeah. You are using an app even though it's not solving a huge problem. It it looks nice. Definitely,
0: definitely. It has that pull for sure. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thanks a ton, Samat for your time. Great chatting with you. Super fun. And all all the best for your new venture. Thank you so much. Um, yeah.